Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we are joined by a very special guest. It is independent economist, Tony Alexander. He is known as the doctor of data, the <laughs> emperor of economics. And I was trying to think of another one earlier, but it's jumped out of my head. But he is a very smart economics man. And uh, today, uh, he's going to be joining us for five separate episodes, which we'll release over the week, uh, covering different topics uh, about economics. But uh, Tony, do you want to just give us a quick introduction about about how you came to become an economist and a bit about your background before we jump into today's topic? Oh, well, that's an interesting uh, story or or question there, Ed, because how did I become an economist? Uh, I guess it all started back in the 1970s. My father was a builder in Christchurch. There was a major decline in the economy and the housing market. He, we, the family, lost everything on the outskirts of the the city. Um, Mum got depressed, and she went to the doctor, and she would have said some version of, uh, give me the drugs. And the doctor obviously said, no, go away and read this. Uh, And he said, go and read The Grapes of Wrath. By John Steinbeck. And so mum, she used to tell me everything back in the day there, and this is about 1977, and I said, oh, mum, what's that book about? And she said, go find out for yourself. And <laughs> no so internet. I did. You know, no, no internet, so goodness knows how I did find out, but it was about the Great Depression. And so I started researching the Great Depression. 1978, I would have been in fifth form at, uh, at school, and I learned it was a failure of economics. And that's what got me into economics, basically. Uh, the unfortunate liquidation of my father's business and finding out about this Great Depression thing. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. And uh, in today's topic, we're going to be talking about something you published, I think, on the 24th of October in Tony's View, which is your uh, weekly publication. And uh, it was looking at the relative prices or values of uh, of the regions around New Zealand. And there was a really interesting comment, uh, which I think we, we, we touched upon in an earlier episode, uh, where the Christchurch, median Christchurch price, uh, or we'll actually explain how it's calculated in a sec, uh, is 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 down about 20% below its long-term median value. Do you want to just uh, introduce ha- what that measure is and how you calculate it and what it kind of indicates and doesn't indicate? Yeah, okay. I mean, I, personally, I'm, I'm pretty much only interested in long-term um, measures for most things as a macroeconomist. My job is to look, be way up high and try and spot the trends which are you know happening f- further down. And so over the long term, there's a certain relationship of prices on average in Christchurch slash Canterbury with the national average. And sometimes, you know, Christchurch will be highly priced, so you've got the graph above the zero line, and sometimes it looks relatively cheap, so the graph is below the zero line. And Christchurch sticks out in amazing contrast to the rest of the country in having that valuation uh, graph well below the line for an extended period of, of time. And another way of looking at that would be to consider, for instance, that since 2014, all around New Zealand, house prices on average have increased about 61%, but since 2014 in Canterbury, they've only gone up by 13%. So that divergence of average Christchurch Canterbury prices from the national average has increased in recent years. And what do you think has caused that sort of holdback? Yeah, I think the obvious thing is is the earthquake yes. e- effect. If it wasn't for the earthquake, I wouldn't expect to see the graph like that um, at all. I think partly it's that we've seen a lot of investors initially looking at Auckland, obviously, with the strong rises from 2012 to 2016, and then go to the regions. But when they've looked at Christchurch, they've got 
I'm not sure what's happening there. Mm. And whenever I've been down to Christchurch following the 2011 earthquakes, people have said to me, what do you think is going to happen down here? And I said, but I've come down here to talk to you, Cantabrians, <laughs> on what you see happening down here. And a lot of operators have gone, I really don't know. They've seen the very good freeing up of land down there. Yes. There was excellent exercise there. But the building of a lot of houses, and I think a lot of people, they're still slightly confused about exactly how things are going down there, yes. but message I wanted to get across in my uh, publication back then, October 24, was that one day, I, I got no idea when, but there'll be a correction. There will be a catch-up. And for your correct property investor with a long-term focus, then that would be the sort of place I'd be looking for a five, ten-year um, exposure. Not the short-term stuff, but over the longer term, one day there's going to be a catch-up. And it's interesting as well that you talk about catch-up. It's a, a kind of this catch-up of house prices. We hear it quite a, quite a bit in different articles. What do you think it is that cause, in your view, what causes catch-up growth? That's hard to say. Um, it's eventually someone notices that a thing is low in price. The same thing goes for shares. You might have the price of Apple shares, which tends to have a relationship with the price of IBM. And then usually within the space of a few microseconds in the world market, yes. somebody recognises, hang on, it's out of whack. And, and at some point, you know, people are going to recognise something's out of whack here for Canterbury. And the view I've been going and giving across for a while is that I think one of the triggers isn't so much going to be the investors, it's going to be the young people. And they're looking for affordable accommodation, be it to rent or to own, but they're not prepared maybe to go out to the regions because they want to be in the corporate environment, for instance. They want to be maybe with a major legal accounting firm. And that's the thing about our second biggest city in New Zealand, Christchurch, that you have representation for those yes. organisations down there. And you can shift from your Auckland to your Wellington down to there, and you can still be maybe on the corporate ladder or whatever. And to date, we've seen, I think, a lot of young people either staying in Wellington or coming into Wellington from Auckland for a variety of reasons. I think at some stage, you'll get that movement of those sort of people into Christchurch with the housing affordability, um, the good bars, the restaurants, etc., all that sort of stuff. I think that'll be the trigger, but there's, there's nothing that, there's no model I can point to and say, oh, that tells me when it's going to happen. I've noticed a lot of um, big companies like Vodafone are running their call centres, a lot more of the call centres out of Christchurch as well now because it's affordable for people to live, uh, their employees to get houses there. It's easier to find a house to rent than it is in Wellington. Um, and so that, you know, they're, they're rather than having their hub in Wellington or Auckland, they just have it in Christchurch and, and often these might be people that are just, you know, on slightly above average pay um, but not on huge money and so they, they need to be somewhere affordable. Yep, yep, most most definitely. Like I say, at some stage that, that transition will occur, but I think there are, for the moment, the short term, still some impediments. The stadium still hasn't been built. The convention centre is not finished. The hotels to sit alongside the convention centre, um, um, not there. Uh, the development of the inner city, there's been a lot of development, but now one would have to say there's probably too many eateries, cafes, yes. so there's probably a bit of rationalisation process yes. there. That rationalisation process for the coming year will be accentuated, obviously, by the coronavirus impact on the tourism sector. But it occurred to me early on today that, well, hang on, um, with the absence of hotels, etc., uh, Christchurch hasn't seen the tourism boom Correct. the rest of the country saw of 40% visitor growth from 2014 to 2018. Therefore, the impact of the virus on the tourism sector is going to be felt less 
in yes. Christchurch, then Rotorua, Queenstown, a lot of other places. Yes, yes, yes. And do you think Queenstown, just on just to jump topic a little bit, do you think Queenstown's going to feel that quite significantly over the next wee while? I would suggest not as much as, say, Rotorua, yes. which is more, I guess, some of your, your, your bulk tourist, uh, easy access from Auckland situation. Um, uh, Queenstown has the other phenomena of wealthy people yes. like to go there for aspirational re- yes. reasons. I, I deserve to go there. I'm good, so I'm going to have a luxury trip down there. They have a different dynamic. And, of course, one thing people are saying at the moment is, that um, many people who maybe have residency in New Zealand but they haven't completed the 183 days you need to yes. stick around before yes. you can buy your property I'm getting feedback from uh, some people I was speaking with this morning uh, that more people are looking at completing the 183 days in a row so they can make a purchase Yes, some of those people given the money they've got the Queenstown purchases maybe less so you wrote rules. yeah and the last thing just before we wrap this episode up Tony is that uh, I noticed you know Regions being out of whack with with the the long term average New Zealand price. I think well, we saw it with Wellington and a number of regions over time, but they tended to bounce back. When, when the divergence started, it was usually a three to four period. Just by eyeballing the data that was in the in the report, are there any uh, trends that you see about how quickly something uh, might bounce back? Yeah, difficult to say. Every episode is special and especially, I guess, trying to say something definitive is difficult because usually the housing markets will broadly move together. That's not what happened last decade. Auckland started taking off for a variety of reasons from about 2011, 2012, and the prices doubled from 212 through to 216. Uh, The rest of the country didn't really join in until two and three years later. But that's where the most recent six months is interesting. You see, in the six months into July, average house prices in Auckland fell 0.4%, while they rose 1.7% in the rest of the country. Mm. In the six months since then, they've now gone up 4.6% in Auckland. Oh, it's improving, people are talking about. But they've gone up 6.8% in the rest of the country. What if we're now back in synchronisation yes. in terms of the of the movements? Well, that doesn't take away the fact that there is still a catch-up eventually to come for Christchurch at some stage, but I don't know when. That's the guts of it. And as Tony said, every episode is special. That's both in the property market and on the Property Academy podcast. So make sure you tune in for the next four episodes as well, where we're just going to be still joined by Tony Alexander. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more and more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.